But it says here, the calling that he called you with is holy, and that calling leads you to holiness. And then it says this, to a life of consecration. This is in the Amplified. So it leads you to holiness, a life of consecration. When you're consecrated, you're given over to something. You're consecrated to it. So you're consecrated over to God or you're consecrated uh, in holiness to God. And this is the thing that really struck me, a vocation of holiness. A vocation of holiness. And this is what I I said this at Wednesday night prayer meeting. And our vocation, it's an occupation which you are trained in. So if you want to know what your job is as a Christian, you're called to a holy life. That's as a vocation. It's supposed to be what you do, in a sense, for work, for your job. And I'm not teaching a work salvation by saying that. I'm teaching scriptural exhortation to it. We're exhorted in scripture to a life, a vocation of holiness. Vocation is very similar to the word vacation. And in a vacation, it's leisure time away from work. So we've got the vo- a vocation is our job and a vacation is away from our job. Our vocation is to be holiness, but many have a hyper grace attitude that now we are in Christ, that we are on vacation. Holiness is inconsequential to salvation, therefore why practice it? They actually have, they, they really do believe if you start teaching holiness that you're teaching a work salvation. They think that grace is, we're free from the restraints of any kind of holiness teaching, even though scriptures don't say that. And they believe that they're on vacation, that life in Christ is a big vacation. different messages I had prepared yesterday but not that I prepared them all yesterday but I had different series that I'm working on and uh, I just had a few ready in case um, the Lord was going to lead me on to a different sermon and but I had one that I'd written by hand and I think the fact that I don't have any of those other powerpoints on here is a sign from God that I'm meant to preach this one because I asked God, please give me direction in this, because when you've got five feelings, you've got five different directions, it's good to get the clarification. So. And I, I, it's strange, I, I, didn't, I was up from quite early this morning, and not once did it occur to me that I have to put the PowerPoint onto this computer from the other computer, you know, transfer it across. But, um, but it doesn't normally happen. So um, let's pray and then we'll, I'll, I'll get into it. I have no title for this sermon, so I'll make one up after I've preached it. <laughs> All right. So, Lord, I just pray that you, you are with us now. I pray that your spirit will move uh, uh, upon all of us here. And, Lord, that you'll touch our hearts and our lives, touch my heart and my life. Um, help each of us here to be uh, really impacted by the spirit and um, to uh, get something from uh, what I'm about to, sp- to speak on. And I just really pray that you really do speak through me and um, really clear up some things and maybe some things in all of our minds that we need to deal with. I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Okay. 
Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6.32. Actually, we're going to go back to verse 30. And it says, you all ready? And it says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field. Now, I'm reading from the NIV, um, but I'm going to be reading from a few different versions today. So you can see some, get some different perspectives on the, these verses. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. For the pagans, just I'll read that again. For the pagans run after these things. So when we start asking questions like, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, you know, even you know, uh, worry, being worried about money and worried about this and worried about that. That's, we're getting caught up in the things that pagans get caught up in. And as Christians, as sons and daughters of the living God, we're not supposed to be caught up in those things. We're supposed to live by faith. We're supposed to just know that God is going to deal with those things in our life and just supply us with all that we need to live from day to day. So we don't have to stress about it. And is stress a killer in the world today? How often are people so stressed that it, it leads them into you know, incredible levels of sickness, depression, even drives people, uh, turns them crazy? You know, you know, stress is, is a terrible thing. And then Jesus really came and he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough worries of its own. Just worry about today. That means we don't, it doesn't mean we, that we don't plan for the future. He's not saying, oh, don't plan at all. He just says, don't worry about it. Plan, and if your plans, if you put, submit your plans to God, then your plans will succeed. Amen? Is that what the scriptures say? So you make plans for the future, submit them to God, and say, God, if that's what you will, let it happen. But about tomorrow, Lord, you know, I'm not supposed to stress. I'm not supposed to stress and get anxious. I'm not supposed to have anxiety. I'm not supposed to, you know, like kids these days with exams and the pressures of year 11 and 12 and, and even university and so on. Even kids in younger levels are stressing over school. You know, the teachers here will tell you how many kids in their class probably stress about things that they shouldn't stress about. But that's really, Jesus says, that's what the pagans get into. That's what pagans run after, all that stuff. And as Christians, we're supposed to be that far above it that we just go, I'm not going to stress. It's not going to help me. It's just going to make me sick. It's going to make me worse. So let go of stress. Don't stress. And just go, God's will be done. You know what I mean? God's will be done. And learn to just, whatever happens, happens. Because worrying and stressing is not going to change the outcome. Actually, if anything, it sometimes can make it worse. You know, when you're stressed, you get that anxious about it, then you end up talking to someone, and the next thing you know, you're on edge, and it's like, you know, you can end up in all sorts of situations just because the stress brings that on. So we've got to learn to just go, no, nope, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, me too, all of us included. We've got to not run after those pagan ways of approaching life. We're supposed to be stress-free. Amen. And if you're stress-free, how much more benefit can you be to the planet? One less stressed person on the planet is a better planet. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So 
Oh, where was I up to there? I said, for the pagans run after all these things. Or I didn't say that. Jesus says that. I'm repeating it. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. All right? He knows all your needs. He knows your needs. It's not a big thing for God. And, you know, you're stressing over you know, a bill. God says, I know. I know. Don't stress. Submit it to me. Put the bill before God. Lord, I don't know how to pay this bill. God will take care of it. We've got to walk in faith. How many times you can stress over the bill, stress over the bill, don't know where I'm going to get the money, don't know where I'm going to get the money, and you don't go to God with it. You try to deal with it. You know, we carry things, we try to deal with everything ourselves. We're a self-sufficient mindset. But we've got to be God-sufficient. Amen? God-sufficient. Because he is sufficient in all things. And then he says this in verse 33. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first. What does it say? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So if this is the conditions, guys, submit it to God, do his will. Seek first his kingdom. Put his things first. Put God first. So you do your reading plan, you read your two chapters of the New Testament every day and you seek to be righteous, seek to be his righteousness on earth so you live a holy life and you put the kingdom of God first, you put prayer first, you put him first and if you do that, he'll take care of all your needs. Isn't that incredible? But a lot of the time when we get into, get into worse and worse situations, a lot of the time it's because we're not seeking his kingdom first. We're not seeking to live a righteous life. We're trying to be do everything ourselves. We're stressing out of our brains. And then we say, where's God? How come God didn't come through? Well, there's conditions. We've got to meet his conditions. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek to be his righteousness. And don't stress about tomorrow. Don't stress. And then you meet his conditions and then he will come through. And he will come through because his word says it. But again, his word says he'll come through. It's a promise from God, but it's a promise attached with conditions. It has conditions attached. And a lot of the time where we hear promises and we think we just claim the promises by speaking the promises out, but we don't think, oh, well, maybe I've got to seek his kingdom first. Maybe I've got to live a holy life and stop living a wretched life, stop stressing and doing all the things that the pagans do. You know, so these conditions are attached in Scripture for a reason because they all go hand in hand. It's, it's one whole complete lifestyle. It's a lifestyle, a Christian lifestyle that's very specifically articulated in Scripture. Very specific, isn't it? it? It tells us exactly how to be, even going so far as the things you're not supposed to do, things you're not supposed to look at, things you're supposed to cut off, ways of approaching life, like pray, prayer and worship. What does it say about prayer? Pray, there's a scripture, a pretty short one. It's pray continually. Pray continually. And people go, oh yeah, <laughs> pray continually. This scripture, I always remembered it from the New Living Translation because I think it says it so much better. 
even better than the amplified. In, but it leaves out an essential thing, which I'll point out. So in verse 31, it says, So don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? And then he says, Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs, and he'll give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. And I love that. If you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary, not secondary, primary concern. There's the condition again, but it's just worded in a way that sort of impacts you a little bit more. However, the New Living Translation doesn't mention seeking his righteousness. So it doesn't mention, they say living for him, and maybe they thought that would be enough to uh, express holiness, seeking his holiness, seeking his righteousness. But it definitely doesn't say seek his righteousness. So that's where the New Living Translation falls down. Yep. Mine doesn't say that. Yeah, so just a different, and that's a New Living as well? It is. Show me your cover. And I've, there's another New Living which I read that didn't which is different again. So there must be a number of them. Yeah. That's the same as this one, but it's a different wording. Okay. Well, that one says it. So isn't that good? Second edition. Mine must be the first. <laughs> Sorry? No, the, the NIV does say it, and the King James does say it. Uh, the Amplified does say it too. But none of them say make the kingdom of God your primary concern with that particular bit of language. And why do you think I'm emphasizing that? I'm emphasizing it because it's too many Christians today make the kingdom of God their secondary or their third or their fourth concern. It's the last thing in the week. And, and you know, a lot of us think we see Sunday as the last day of the week not the first day of the week. You know, the key day, the first day, the day that launches you into the week, the day that blesses the week, and it's part of seeking his kingdom, isn't it? Seeking his kingdom first, primary concern. And, and I think that's a really important scripture to, to sort of meditate upon, especially that actual part of that version. Now let's go to 2 Timothy 1.9. And I brought this up at the prayer meeting on uh, on Wednesday, do you remember I mentioned it at the beginning? Two Timothy one nine, and it says, "Who has saved us and called us to a holy life?" Does it say that? What yours is uh, NASB, isn't it? What does yours say? A holy calling. So one nine, I've lost my spot again. Who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And we might just read the last little bit. But has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality. I just want to read that again. Who has saved us and called us to a holy life, and he's done this because of any, not because of anything we've done, but he's, 
we've got to keep those words in perspective. You know, Jesus died to save us so that we can live a holy life. He died to save us to live a holy and righteous life. You know, some people hear that. Some people hear that holy life stuff. And, you know, some people think, oh, that sounds really boring. Have you ever, ever heard anyone have that sort of consideration of living a holy and righteous life as a boring life? Because we're not living, you know, we're not allowed to do certain things that people consider fun. But as I've said a number of times before, the sinful life, the unrighteous life, is probably the worst life that you can live. You know, if you live a sexually promiscuous lifestyle, you can end up, you know, with all sorts of diseases and sicknesses and broken hearts and, and cor it corrupts your soul. And if you're, you're, if you're living a, a, a drug lifestyle, taking drugs, hardcore drugs all the time, who knows that can kill people? You know, if people keep taking drugs all the time, they're going to die. And if you drink in excess all the time, who knows that's going to kill you. So what, what's the answer for this, for this pagan world? Live a holy and righteous lifestyle. However, you can't do it. You can't do it by yourself. You can't do it in yourself. You know, the, they're trying to do it. So you know what the Buddhists do? They go and sit in a lotus position and they just think nothing. Safest bet, think nothing. And they'll sit there and think nothing for as long as they can and so that until they enter into a state called nirvana, which is a state of nothingness. So they think emptying everything out is going to be the answer. But guess what? They all struggle with thoughts that do not stop. <laughs> thoughts don't stop. Who knows if you try to think nothing that something's going to be thought because you'll be thinking, think nothing, think nothing. And then you think, hang on, I'm thinking, think nothing. I'm trying to think nothing. And then you're having this discourse in your head. And now you're thinking about thinking nothing. And it all gets really confusing. And your brain starts to go, you know what I mean? I can't think nothing. And then you think, I just said that. <laughs> I just thought, I can't think nothing. Do you know what I mean? It's a stupid approach. It leads to you know, anxiety in the Buddhists because they just can't live up to their expectations of Buddhism. But with Christianity, guess what? You get the thoughts of God. You know, We get the, receive the thoughts of God, amen? Who wants the thoughts of God? You know what? If your thoughts are making you depressed, if your thoughts are, are making you sick, if your thoughts are just constantly leading you to be a... a you know, a man of anxiousness or a woman of anxiousness or a man that's not very happy, do you know one of the signs of being a Christian is joy? You know, you're supposed to be joyful. You're not supposed to come in and... How are you? You know, some of the most unhappy people I've ever met have been in the church. Seriously. Andy and Sharon just nodded their heads because they've been in, in... You've been in a big church and you have got to meet a lot of Christians. And uh, I've met some really unhappy Christians, really unhappy. They don't carry the, they don't carry Christ. They're not clothed in Christ. They go out in the morning and they forget to put him on. And they go out and they just bring everyone down that they come into contact with. 
you know, it's, it's so important that we lift each other up and that we look at each other and smile and we pay attention when people are speaking to us. Amen. That's what the Christian's meant to do. We're meant to listen. We're meant to be the people that other people can count on, that other people can trust with their deepest secrets, that they could come and they, can, they feel comfortable enough to share anything with us because we're just such beautiful people. So they'll come up and say, you know what, I, I can't share this sort of thing with anyone, but with you, you don't make me feel condemned. You don't judge me. But you sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to pray for you. And you, you empathize with me. You know, this, is, this is the world. I, t- I, I, I get amazed. I see people in, in the media getting crucified in the media. Bad choice of words to use, but that's what they use. That's what they call it in the media, crucifying a certain person for some thing, you know, like, you know, what happened to Clinton. You know, did Clinton get, you know, the whole, I won't go into what he did, but he, he, he was not very smart, not very wise in his conduct, and he got caught out. But you know what uh, surprises me is every single person that reported that news and all the people that condemned him and wrote re- things about him and all that, guess what? They more than likely have been involved in themselves. The very same thing they're condemning him for. They're rubbing their hands together. We got him. We got him. Yeah, well, you know what? At Judgment Day, you're done as well because you are a hypocrite because you do the very same thing. You know? And this is the interesting thing about this world is they condemn each other for things they themselves do, but they think in their mind, but no one sees has caught me doing it, so I can condemn him for doing it or condemn her for doing that, but do the very same thing. That's why the Christians are not meant to be like that. We're not to be condemning. We're not to say, how dare you, you know, have lived that kind of life. I don't want anything to do with you. You know, we're supposed to just say, you know what, who am I to judge? Who am I to cast a stone? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to side up with you. You know what I mean? That's the Christian. So remember, joy. Be joyful. One thing in that movie, um, War Room, and she, she went out. Remember, she casted Satan out of her house, and then she went outside because she assumed by the power of God that he was now outside, and, and she went and told him to flee a bit more, and then she went back in the house and then she came out and said oh and by the way satan you're not going to steal my joy any longer and she then she said i don't get my joy from my my friends i don't get my joy from my my husband i don't get my joy from anywhere except jesus christ and him alone and no one is going to steal my joy i'm not going to let that grump at work make me unhappy i'm going to not going to let that person that said something to me when i was checking out at a supermarket and the way that person checked me out, I'm not going to let that person steal my joy either. Amen. So where do we, who, do, who do we get our joy from? Jesus Christ and him alone. Him alone. We can't expect to get joy from anyone else. I'll try to make you joyful. You know, I'll, I'll be as joyful and lift you up as joyful as I possibly can, but don't expect it from me. Come in with it yourself because you got it from the one and only God that can give you that joy. Amen? Yeah. I think I know why God made me preach this sermon now. Now, 2 Timothy 1.9, did we just read that? We did. 2 Timothy 1.9. Now, I'm going to read it in the Amplifier. Who's got their Amplifieds? 
2 Timothy 1.9. So where do you get your joy from? Come on, class. Where do you get your joy from? Jesus. Thank you, Vina. <laughs> Everyone say it together. Where do we get our joy from? Jesus. All right, now, in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, For it is he who delivered and saved us and called us with a calling itself holy and leading to holiness. So you've got to remember, when Jesus called us, that calling is a holy calling. He's called us and it's a holy calling. And that calling leads us to holiness. Who can see that in their version, what I just read out? Does it sort of come at you with that sort of extent? Now what it's doing, what the Amplified is doing, is it's going into the Greek word, which is very difficult to get the full English interpretation from. And it's just bringing out more of the Greek. So when an ancient Greek read that passage in Greek, when, when he read it, that's the sort of mind that, that that's the sort of thing that came into his mind was these sorts of concepts that's why sometimes it's good to read a king james it's good to read a, an niv and it's good to read an nlt and it's good to read an nasb and a whole range of things because suddenly you see more than just the plain simple text of your version that you've probably got used to you know because when we get used to reading it sometimes you don't even see anything in it anymore you can gloss right over it but it says here, the calling that he called you with is holy, and that calling leads you to holiness. And then it says this, to a life of consecration. This is in the Amplified. So it leads you to holiness, a life of consecration. When you're consecrated, you're given over to something. You're consecrated to it. So you're consecrated over to God or you're consecrated uh, in holiness to God. And this is the thing that really struck me, a vocation of holiness. A vocation of holiness. And this is what I, I said this at Wednesday night prayer meeting. And our vocation, it's a, an occupation which you are trained in. You know, uh, Ben is a builder. Andy um, was a plumber, still plums. Vina's a school teacher, right? They're our vocations. And as a Christian, a Christian's vocation, so if you want to know what your job is as a Christian, you're called to a holy life. That's as a vocation. It's supposed to be what you do, in a sense, for work, for your job. And I'm not teaching a work salvation by saying that. I'm teaching scriptural uh, exhortation to it. We're exhorted in Scripture to a life, uh, a vocation of holiness. And then it says, He did it not because of anything of merit that we have done, but because of and to further His own purpose and grace, which is unmerited favor, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, the eternal ages ago. But I want to go back to this word vocation. And vocation is very similar to the word vacation. And in a vacation, it's leisure time away from work. So we've got the vo a vocation is our job, and a vacation is away from our job. Like vacating, you know, you vacate, you get out. So, but vocation is, 
is what we're supposed to do. Now, I wrote this last night. Our vocation is to be holiness, but many have a hyper-grace attitude that now we are in Christ, that we are on vacation. Holiness is inconsequential to salvation, therefore why practice it? They actually have, they, they really do believe if you start teaching holiness that you're teaching a work salvation. They think that grace is, we're free from the restraints of any kind of holiness teaching, even though scriptures don't say that. And they believe that they're on vacation, that life in Christ is a big vacation. And in a, in a sense, you get that sense when you go to these bigger churches that it's just one big pleasurable experience. Who's had that? Who's got that? from the pulpit, from some places, that it's just pleasure. It's all about pleasure, joy, happiness. And joy not in the right sense, not in the correct sense that where it comes from Christ, where you can have joy even if you're in prison for Christ. You can live in joy. But So they've got, they've got it mixed up. they got this verse mixed up. And where it says uh, a vocation of holiness, they say uh, they would think in their minds a vacation from holiness. And that's where I think that it's, it's critical for us to understand this, that we have a vocation. From the moment you said, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord, actually, give me a show of hands. Who of you here, including all the kids, especially the ones over on the left there, put up your hand if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian. So that's everyone in the room is a Christian. Did you know the moment you've put your hand up, you've just said, I have now a vocation of holiness. You have a job, and your job now is to be holy as he is holy. He even says, only the holy will see the Lord. So as kids, you know, the kids have got it hard these days. Who knows? You know, I, I wouldn't want to grow up in this day and age as a, as, a, as a teenager. I think you guys, I take my hat off to you that you're in church. I really do. Because at this present time is the biggest falling away from, from church attendance in the youth in history. The youth are falling away from church like never before. And the reason is, is the youth are so oversensitized with so much entertainment that life is just one big entertainment. And if it's not, if they, if they go an hour without seeing something, they, they nearly get, become nervous wrecks. You know, if they did, who saw that um, thing on YouTube where they turned off all the, like the modems or something and, and the, all the kids in the house had no internet access for about 24 hours. And these kids went insane. One of them started smashing his room up. He had no internet access. And he is literally smashing the room up. He was going off and he was, they were sitting at the dinner table and the, they were just getting so mad and all this sort of stuff. But within about the 24 hours, they ended up sitting down to dinner and everyone were actually talking. But it showed them before when the internet was on that no one was talking. The kids were on their phones. You know, we don't allow that in our house, do we, Tess? No, but, um, but that's how some households are getting. And the kids are just basically like this all the time. So what I'm, my point is is the temptations there. Because this is the other thing. Most of these kids, and, 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 I'm, and I can say this without a shadow of a doubt, will have already seen some pretty, pretty provocative images on the internet. Right? They will have all been exposed to it. Much younger than we would have been. Some kids are seeing it at five years old and six years old. And the, the really, really 
bad thing about it is these kids get corrupted and Satan does it that way because he knows that if I start showing these kids this sort of stuff, they're going to get corrupted very, very young and it's going to make them harder and harder, harder and harder for them to receive Jesus ultimately. And I want you all to understand something. There is a war going on on this planet and it's called a war for souls. Satan knows life is short. You know, it doesn't seem like that long ago I was that age, you know. It really doesn't. It's like time just clicked past. Because when, when you're actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting on now, but um, I didn't want to tell my age. I don't know why I'm not a female. <laughs> right, but I'm 47, all right? I look good, don't I? <laughs> Spring chicken. You never thought that. You thought I was, how old do you think, 30? 30? <laughs> Dream on. <laughs> well, I didn't wear my leather jacket. <laughs> um, but it, it, life is fleeting. And I, I, this, I did a sermon that I've just got up on, on, online a few uh, weeks ago that I actually preached about four months ago. And, you know, I was saying, and this, I, I just want to reiterate it because um, Vina and I got married 22 years ago, 23 Vina doesn't know that. <laughs> I'm not in trouble. You're in trouble. 22? All right, like 22. All right, so we got married 22, 23, somewhere around there. Um, about a year and a half to two years before John was born. Just want to... 23. All right, 23 years. Tessa remembers. <laughs> you weren't even there. How do you remember? Uh, yeah, you knew. Anyway, so 23 years... And we had our kids, and you know when they're little, you think they're never going to grow up? Who's had that experience? You know, when they're really little and you have them, you know, do all the baby stuff with them and you think, oh, you know, you love them being young, but you also, gee, I wish this stage would pass. The nappy stage. Who hated the nappy stage? You know, like I hated the And the expense, if you use huggies. You just go, man, this could, I could really do without having to buy 30 bucks worth of nappies every week. Anyway, once that stage passed... Um, I don't know, the rest of it just seemed to flicker by. And w last year, we were at, our son was having his 21st birthday party about a year ago in uh, November. And we're like, where did that time go? And what's interesting is when we got married, I looked at some photos of all the uncles and aunties, and they all looked quite young. And they're all at John's 21st, and they're all like really old looking. And that's just 20 years. And then, so to me, that, that went like that. And before that, you know, I was, I was young when I met Vina, 22, 23. And that just seemed to go beyond me, beyond us, or, or pass really, really quickly. And then, then I'm thinking, uh, my father-in-law, how old is he now? He's 78. He, he looks fantastic. He's fit as a fiddle. And, but in Another 20 years, he could very well be gone. And my dad could very well have passed away. And all of those uncles and aunties that we see that are old, they're more than likely, like just in the last five, six weeks, or there was a four-week period over the school holidays time, and three of our uncles died, you know, in that time from Venus home island. Three. Or well, 40, wasn't it? From Ikaria, was it? Was 40 from Ikaria? 
different island, yeah. But anyway, three uncles passed away. And, and I'm just thinking, time is so fleeting. Before we know it, we're going to be at death's door. And I'm, I'm not saying that to bring anyone down. Remember, where do you get our joy from? Where do you get your joy from? Jesus Christ. So can we face death with a smile on our face? Yes. Why? Because we're entering into eternity with Jesus Christ. And you know, if there's a scripture here, and I'll go to it. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15.19. 1 Corinthians 15.19, if you could turn there. I wondered how this scripture was going to tie in with the sermon, and it does. 1 Corinthians 15.19. If only for this life, if it's only for this life that we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Who's got that? If it's only for this life, that we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If all our hope rested on was just hope in Christ without eternal life, we are to be pitied. And therefore the saying, you know, eat, drink and be merry, should, you know, that they would have a better attitude for the rest of this life. Why live a holy life? Why live a righteous life? Why seek God with all our heart? Why Give God our Sundays. Why pray? Why do any of that if all our hope is, is in this life, if there's no eternal life? It's a waste of time. But our hope is much greater than just this life. And that's, what I'm, that's my point, is before we know it, before we know it, you know, when you, now that we're 40, in our 40s, Ben, it, it's like... Um, it's like you've nearly been here all along. You know what I mean? It's like this is it. We're 40 now. You know when you're 80, you go, I'm 80 now. You can't turn the clock back. You can't go back. It's there. You're done. It's done. 80 years is done. And it's like the rest of it didn't happen. And the moment you die, that's it. You won't know anything else. Time has passed. Time has gone. And once it's gone, we've only got Christ. There is no one else. There is no one else. And I'm going to emphasize it and I want the kids to get it. There's no one else. Don't let anyone t strip you of your faith. Don't let anyone steal your faith. Because the enemy comes to rob, steal and destroy. That's what he does. He doesn't want anyone saved. He doesn't want anyone to come into the kingdom of heaven. He wants it vacated. He wants to keep kids from getting into heaven. He wants to keep them distracted. He wants to keep us distracted. He wants us not to make the kingdom of God our primary concern. He wants us to stress to our eyeballs about this life. He wants us to be pagan. He wants us to have no joy. He wants us unhappy. He wants us bitter and angry and etc. And does he achieve it? Is he achieving it? He's doing a really fine job of it. But you know what? We can't let it get into us. We've got to get above that. We've got to put on Christ every morning. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to put a smile on our face and say, I don't care how bad I feel. I am going to live for Christ today. I'm going to rise above it. 
you know? Who knows when you get a bad back, you can either go, oh man, I've got a bad back and just get really bitter and everyone and just don't like life. Or you can go, I've got a bad back, but I'm just going to bear with it. How you going? How are you? Good. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just, just yes. That's the attitude, man. That's the Christian attitude. That should be a Christian character trait. Yeah. We just got to know that Christ is the only way. There is no one else. No one else. And I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really worried about the youth of this, this time and even the youth in the church. You know, are they getting just pulled this way and that? And they're, they're, they're getting challenged in so many things. How do you get them to live for Christ with all their heart? How do you get them to love Christ with all their heart? How do you get your kids to pray? How do you get your kids to read the Bible? You know, how do we get the kids fully devoted to Jesus Christ? Because there's no one else to be devoted to. Why we let uh, you know? And and, and you know, and I'm, I'm pointing at Ben because Ben's got some young ones. How hard is it? To say, hey, kids, read the Bible. <laughs> yeah, right, Dad. No worries. You know. Finish this text first. <laughs> you know, finish this game. Do this, do that. It's, it's a distraction. And Satan is really good at distracting us. And he does it to all of us. And so as, as parents, have we got to pray? Have we got to, in a sense, get in our own war room? Have we got to make our own war room in our ho homes and pray for our kids? And, gr and if you've got grandchildren, pray for your grandchildren. Because if... If our kids are having a hard time in this world, what about the, the younger ones that are coming up? It's like they, they come out of the womb with their hand like that, reaching for an iPod. <laughs> and they get... <laughs> they do. They, it's the first thing they reach for. Where's my iPad, Mum? They come out and then you, you see this little tiny thing walking around. <laughs> They're doing that. It's true. They're, they're um, yeah, yeah. Kids are younger and younger and younger. John and Tessa used to get annoyed because they would be, you know, doing these certain things on internet. And then Alicia come along, and she's like only three years old, and she does exactly what they're doing on the internet. You know, with like the, the games that they were playing and stuff. Do you remember? Can't remember what was the game. Stardoll. Tessie used to do Stardoll. Who did? Did you do? You're smiling. Did you used to do Stardoll? Yeah, it was a craze. Did you do Stardoll? No one over there? Oh, you were behind. Huh? Lydia did it? Well, Alicia went on it, and before she knows it, she's getting, she came number one in the world. And she's winning competitions, and she was like the, the best in the world for the day, and the best in Australia a number of times. Cover girl on the Stardoll thing. And Tessa's like, oh, I'm not playing that game anymore. Because <laughs> my little, little young sister comes and dresses the dolls that much better. You know? <laughs> you did pretty good, didn't you? Didn't one, she one all. Yeah, amazing. Sorry? I was very proud, yeah. Went around the family pretty quick. She's number one in the world. <laughs> They've probably got a number one in the world for every state in the world, probably. <laughs> All right. Now I'm completely lost track of where I was going. The youth. 
yeah, I'm worried about the youth. Yeah, and I'm worried about I'm worried about the church. I'm worried about us, you know, because we got to stay focused. So remember, the put Jesus Christ first. Seek His kingdom first. Seek the Spirit to fill you with joy and happiness, so that you can radiate joy and happiness in the Holy Ghost everywhere you go. You know, and don't let the troubles of this day worry you. Well, let, no, well, actually, if it, let it worry you on the moment and deal with it and always pray. Deal with everything through prayer, but don't let tomorrow's worries worry you. And, and that's another thing. You know, this movie, War Room, it had a, quite an impact on me because there was a scene where he's, um, he was in a pretty tight situation and he came home and he goes to his wife, I don't know if I've done the right thing, you know. And she says, well, we're just going to leave it with God. Go inside, get changed and come out and they're doing this skipping thing. Come and skip with your daughter and, and her friend. And, and so he's, he's in this situation where if it was anyone else in the world in the same situation, you know what I'm talking about, you know, the situation he was in, they would, all they would do would be sit on a couch and probably get a bottle of whiskey and drink the whole thing and just stress. But he's out there skipping and it showed him just resuming normal life. And then God dealt with it and, and it was a, a, a really good ending to it. But um, we've got to deal with it like that. We've got to not let things get us down. You know, put up your hand if things sometimes get you down. So, yeah. We all let things get us down. We let them, let them eat away at us. But we've got to submit everything to God in prayer. We've got to give it to Him. And we've got to give it to Him in faith and let it go. You know, if you fear God, if you truly fear God, you will not fear anything else or anyone else. If you truly fear God, Satan can walk right up to you and look at you glaring and, you know, all that stuff, and you go, hang on. Yeah, I'm not going to fear you. You're a defeated foe, you know, if we really believe that. And guess what? You can't touch me. God's my covering. God's my, I'm, protect, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. Now get out of here and turn your back on him. You know, there's a famous story, I don't know the, the truth of it, but I love the concept of it. Smith Wigglesworth, who's heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Powerful man of God of early 20th century. Um, and came out of the, I think it was out of the Salvation Army. He was part of that and he came through and, uh, and, and started to, uh, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and he started to do some incredible things like, uh, the power of healing would come out from his ministry and he, he saw countless people healed um, and back in the day when people were genuine about it. And um, so there was one time they said that he was asleep in his bed and it was early in the morning, you know, two in the morning or something, and he felt this strong presence in his room and he turned around and he recognized Satan had appeared in his room and he could see him. You could imagine what, what would you do in that situation? Would you like get up and in Jesus' name I cast you out of here? You know, you get up and he just says, oh, it's only you. And he rolled over and went back to sleep. It's only you. <laughs> just rolled over. I don't care about you. I fear the one and only God. I fear the King of Kings. What can man do to me? Like uh, J Justin Martyr was taken to be killed. And they were threatening him and doing all these things to him. And he says, you know, what can you do to me? You can't do me any real harm. You can kill this body, but you can't do me any real harm. 
You know, this is just the body. You kill the body, but what is our hope? Our hope is eternal life. Our hope is eternal life. So we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear any of these things. I bring up death and people think, oh, well, that's such a sad and depressing thing to bring up in church. Hang on. What is church all about? Hope after death. Is death real? We went to three funerals in four weeks. Death is very real. We've got some friends of ours who are you know, struggling with death. Death is knocking on their door. And, and, and we're seeing incredible faith, aren't we, in Joe? Incredible faith. Keep, please keep praying for Joe and Kathleen. Kathleen needs to know Jesus. Joe knows Jesus. And her faith is soaring. And we've just got to, and we, we meet with them every week and God's just opened the door of opportunity for us and we're very honoured to be able to go every single week and pray with her, her husband, her two sisters and her brother. And just a real powerful time. Every time we start praying, the Holy Spirit just floods the room. You know, and she's, she's weak at the moment. She's got liver cancer. Liver cancer's the worst one, nearly, you know. So just pray, just pray, because she's, she's, her faith is becoming <laughs> very coming to the forefront. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Jesus has never meant so much to her. Jesus has never been so real. It's, he's never going to mean as much to you as that time when you face that time where you have to potentially die. That's when Jesus is going to mean everything. But, you know, why should it only be then that we start turning with all our heart? Why should it only be then that we, we pray as we should? Do you know what I mean? Why is it only at that moment that suddenly Jesus is everything? Shouldn't Jesus be everything every day? Amen. Don't let the world suck you away. Don't let the world strip you of your faith. Don't let Satan destroy the good that Jesus has done in you. Live for him with all your heart. Live with him with all your heart. Live for him. Amen? Okay, I think I've, I've done an, enough preaching. I'm getting sick of my own preaching now. All right, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray for a real move of your spirit in everyone here. Lord, I pray that everyone just really takes a, such a strong attitude of, of total commitment, total love, and total uh, devotion to you, Lord Jesus. I pray that everyone here will honor you with everything in their being. Lord, I don't care how old they are, whether they're young or old, I pray that they give you everything. I pray that they pour out to you every day in prayer, that they'll read your scriptures, they'll get to know you, that they'll build a relationship with you. And it won't just be this afternoon that they do that, but Lord, that it will be every day. That Lord, that your spirit will move in them in such a degree that they can never be the same again. That from this day forward, they can never be the same again. That they'll just live with all their heart totally devoted to you and, and pour out everything to you every day, that they'll put you first, Lord, that the kingdom of God will be their primary concern, and Lord, that they'll live holy lives by the Spirit of God, by the grace of the Spirit of God, that they'll be able to fulfill all your will on this planet. 
and they will receive such joy, such happiness, such uh, blessings in their life that all their needs will be met and they will, will not lack, Lord, but they'll be full of the Holy Spirit and they'll be fully uh, committed in everything to, uh, by the Spirit. And Lord, that they'll succeed in whatever they put their hand to because you are with them. And so, Lord, I just pray that you just uh, help each of it and every one of us to really embrace what's been spoken today. Let it change us. Let it transform us and cause us to become the Christians that you designed us to be. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.